So we're going to look at Elizabeth. And she, to me, is my model of integrity. And she's really my role model of what it means to be a Titus II woman. I really have a lot of respect for her when I read the scripture. And I think we're going to get a lot out of looking at her life. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at the entire chapter of Luke 1. It's a very long chapter. So bear with me. I'm going to open in prayer and we're going to get started. Father, we love you so much and we thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Your word is a comfort when our hearts are broken. Your word is direction when we don't know where to go. Your word is full of joy when we're rejoicing and full of strength when we feel like giving up. And so we thank you. Open your word to us tonight, Lord, and let us hear what you have to say to us and help every one of us to leave here so encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 1, this is Luke 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account, of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So right away, here we have Luke saying, you know, I wasn't necessarily with Jesus, but I've talked to the people who were eyewitnesses, and I'm going to give you not only an account, but I'm going to give it to you in consecutive order. So that tells us about this gospel. If we want to know the order that stuff happened, we're going to come here, you know, because other gospels may not necessarily be in order, and he kind of alludes to that. Um, so um, when Luke sets out to give an orderly, chronological account of the life of Jesus, he does not start with Jesus. And that is very interesting. So he is going to start with someone who is very significant and very important. And um, so Luke's account begins with an elderly couple who were never blessed with a child. And my favorite thing about this chapter is it has three songs in it that were made up and sung right on the spot. And so we're going to hear about all three of those songs, three very different songwriters, but all of them were filled with emotion and cried out to God. And um, they're written in that kind of song form. Um, you could argue with me they aren't songs, and I'll say, oh, you're probably right, but I think they were, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, all right, moving on, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And then listen to this really carefully, verse 6. Now, they're elderly. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in some of the commandments and requirements of the Lord. What does it say? All. They were walking 
blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. I love that. Like, they weren't like focusing in on one thing. They were walking in all of the commandments of the Lord. And they were walking blamelessly. And, um, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both, both advanced in years. Um, they had, both had a very godly lineage. And I think that's something very significant. Um, my great-grandparents on my mom's side, my mom's mom's parents were very, very godly. And um, my great-grandfather read the Bible out loud to his family every morning. They had family altar. It was a very significant, wonderful time. And um, they were really, really blessed um, by... Uh, that time in the Word, my grandmother actually still remembered it when she was, right before she died, she was 101, and she was talking to me about their times around the Word when she was a little girl. So my, and they were known throughout the city as having integrity. Um, But my husband, my husband really, like, has movers and shakers in the kingdom of God in his lineage. And he had, um, one of his great 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 greats was in uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony, and he helped to start Princeton because um, Yale was getting liberal, so they started a new. He started Princeton in his um, living room, or they called it a parlor back then. And he was teaching classes. He was a pastor, and revival began to break out. And he was one of the presidents. So. You know, and then his great-great-grandfather wrote a number of books. He has a college named after him. So on my, on my husband's side, there's this, like, they were movers and shakers in the kingdom of God. So he brings up the fact that there is this godly heritage that Elizabeth and Zechariah have. And not only do they have a godly heritage, but they live up to the godly heritage. You know, how many of you would say with your heritage, you either live up to it or down to it? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like some of us, we have a godly heritage and we want to live up to it. I kind of have both, you know, like the sheep and the goats (laughs) in my heritage. You know, like, okay, living up there or living down there. So we we kind of either want to, you know, live down, like live a different life than our forefathers have, like it talks about in 1 Peter. Or we want to, you know, live up to the the ones who have gone before us. And I hope in my life that I will set standards for my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren that they will want to walk in the ways of the Lord and they will want to do exploits for the kingdom of God. Not because I'm famous in the world's eyes, but because I have integrity, because I made a choice to walk blamelessly before the Lord. And um, so here, here we have these, this elderly couple. And if anyone should be blessed with a big house and nice clothes and lots of children, it should be them, right? Why would they not be blessed? Why would God withhold a blessing? And then my question was, when I was asking the Lord, why would you withhold this blessing? The Lord said to me, 
Was I withholding or was I waiting? And there's a big difference between withholding and waiting. And I think you're going to see as we look at this couple, you're going to see why God chose to wait. And we always look at it as withholding because, you know, we feel like if things don't come quickly, then something is terribly, terribly wrong and we get upset. (laughs) But waiting on God reveals our heart. It reveals who we are. And who is this God who loves us so much, but his timing is so, so different? And sometimes we feel like we are just waiting for something to happen. And other times we feel like things are happening so quickly we can't keep up with them. Have you ever felt like that? Like it's just one thing after another after another. And we think, how are we ever going to keep up with all this? This is just too fast. Everything is just too fast. So one of the things while I was um, doing this Bible study is I got the feeling that this waiting caused a brokenness in Elizabeth. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. But as I was, you know, looking at this passage, the Lord reminded me that brokenness pleases God. It doesn't, it doesn't please us. We don't like to be broken. We don't like to see our friends broken. But God is pleased with brokenness. And the Bible says in Psalm 31, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Waiting, tragedy, hurt, pain, all those hard things, they either cause us to press into God or they cause us to resist him. And I think probably if we were honest in our life, we've probably done both. There are times we've probably gotten angry and stomped our feet And there are other times we have just pressed into him and said, I don't understand. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I don't know where to go next. But I'm not going to leave you. I'm just going to press in closer. If we love God, we will press in. And we will become more like him. And the process of pressing in in times that our heart is hurting, it builds something in us that is sweet and it's different. Sorrow, trials, those things, they produce fruit in us that is sweeter, it's bigger, it's more of a blessing than any other kind of fruit. We really, really run from these things and yet they're the things that produce fruit in us that makes us beautiful I remember at a pastor's conference one time and I was talking with some pastors and you know I just I met some some men who were just and their wives and they were just so filled with the spirit of God and I I was young and 
you know, I thought, well, there must be like seven steps to this. You know, there must be some easy way to be so filled up with the presence of God. And one of the pastors said to me, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, really filled and accomplish great things in the kingdom, always walk with a limp. They always walk with a limp. And if their heart isn't breaking for things going on in their own lives, their heart is breaking for things going on in the lives of the people they love. But they always walk with a limp. And I remember thinking, well, I'm going to cover that in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> you know, but it is true. Every person I've ever met that is so filled with the presence of God, they will sit down and they will tell you their story and you'll know, wow, how did you make it through that? And how are you praising God and declaring his praises? And, you know, when we're, when we're young and the first time we go through something, we really get afraid that God won't be faithful. We really get afraid. And we also get afraid that he won't do what we want him to do. And we should be afraid of that because he won't do what we want him to do. <laughs> he will always do what he wants to do. But when you walk through something again and again and again, and it's a different thing, but that same kind of situation where your world just blew up, and what are you going to do now? The only thing you can do is trust God. And you find that God is faithful then the next time it's a tiny bit easier. But the truth is, if your world just blew up, then you probably need some surgery and some bandages and you're gonna be hurting. And the Bible never tells us not to hurt. The Bible never says that we should pretend that everything's okay. But the Bible does tell us that in our sorrow, that God will be our comfort. And that then with that comfort that we receive, we'll comfort others. Often we look at our life in the singular about what is going on, you know, with us. But remember when we talked about Hannah two weeks ago, her life was a reflection of the nation of Israel. So now here is this woman who is barren. And in those days, to be barren was a disgrace. Because what was your purpose? To give your husband sons. To give him sons. Okay, daughters are okay, but to give him sons, you know? <laughs> There's your purpose. And then if you're, if you're filled with disgrace because... Now, I don't think other people probably really respected Esther, but for us, for, for really respected Elizabeth, but for Elizabeth, you'll, you'll see later in this chapter that she talks about the Lord taking away her disgrace. So she felt that disgrace very heavily in her life. 
But I believe like Hannah, well, I know like Hannah, that she was reflecting not just the need of Israel, but she was reflecting the need of the entire world. And God was going to use her to turn the world right side up because the world was already upside down. And God was going to use her to turn the world right side up. When God finally answered her prayers, and my guess is that she stopped praying. Hannah was a young woman, but here's Elizabeth. She's well past her childbearing years. And I believe that she probably gave up even praying. But when God answered all those prayers, and God never forgets our prayers. We sometimes do. How many times have you listened to a sermon and been remembered, oh, four years ago, every day I was praying for this thing, and now I've just stopped because I've given up. But see, God hasn't forgotten those prayers. And when God finally came through and answered her prayers, then he was going to use her in a significant way like Esther, that Elizabeth was born for such a time as this. And that's what, that's what I think you're going to see. Um, so Elizabeth would give birth. Well, we'll see. We'll see what God does. We'll move on. Okay. So moving on, Luke 1. We're already all the way to verse 8. <laughs> so now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, this is Zechariah, her husband, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner. Can you imagine? And angels telling you this about your son. And he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. When I, when I read that, I think, can you imagine as a mother, you have waited. Well, this is all Zachariah, but we know he went home and told, I guess he had to write it on the slate because Elizabeth knew. But here is this man just going through the routine. You know, how often do we go through the routine? We get up, we read our Bible, we pray. Maybe we pray for the same people every day and we pray the same things every day and we're in our routine and all of a sudden God shows up. 
And what happens when God shows up? <laughs> we get scared, <laughs> right? We get scared and we wonder, what does he want and what is he going to say? And then he gives this beautiful promise. Not only are you going to have a son, well, he knows, well, that's not possible because my wife hasn't had a period in years, right? We're all ladies, I can say it. And, um, and so he knows she's well past the age of childbearing. But he goes on, the angel goes on and says, and he will be the one who comes before the Messiah. Zacharias knew that. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's the forerunner. People are going to turn back to God. He's going to prepare the way. And how many of you would feel a little bit of doubt? Is this my flesh? <laughs> you know, Is this the Lord? Is this my flesh? Zechariah said to the angel, verse 18, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And I love this. The angel is so funny. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, <laughs> who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So, and then just... Um, I think Zachariah had probably, I mean, he's, he never stopped being blameless. He never stopped walking in the commands of the Lord, neither he or his wife. But somewhere along the way, he stopped believing that God was going to show up and answer his prayer. Somewhere along the way, he just stopped believing. And so when the angel promised this, the angel says, because you doubted, you will not be able to speak. Now, I can only imagine as a wife, men don't speak a lot anyway. <laughs> can you imagine you have to go through your whole pregnancy <laughs> and he's not going to say anything? He's not even going to talk? That would be terrible. So, I mean, it was as much a punishment, I'm sure, for his wife as for him. Jesus said in Matthew 24, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I want you to remember something about God. And you'll see this all through the New Testament. God delights in perseverance. We delight in little spurts of big glam, bling. We love all that. But God delights in perseverance, day after day, being faithful. And he who perseveres to the end will be saved. That's what Jesus said. So when we walk by faith and not by sight, perseverance in faith, it doesn't mean just having one big prayer meeting and then that's it. It means day after day after day after day, praying, believing God, trusting God, obeying God. And, and that truthfully, and just to be completely honest with all of you, that is the life that God blesses. It's the life that God blesses. 
when we honor him, he honors us. And so often we think of honor as doing something grand, but God thinks of honor as being faithful and being good and being kind. So, um, okay, so verse 21 The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And the the one thing I appreciate right here about Zechariah is that he was disciplined by God. Everyone saw that he was disciplined by God. But he didn't pack up his marbles and go home. He stayed and he finished the job that he had started. And he was faithful to God, even while God was disciplining him. And I think that's a lesson for us too. You know, when sometimes we're going through things, and I'm not talking about hard times. I'm talking about like when you know <laughs> God is spanking you, <laughs> you know, to still be faithful. Okay, after these days... Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So we know right here that she felt the disgrace, and she not only felt it personally, but she probably had a lot of people had said things to her, And, you know, maybe if you feared God more, maybe if you prayed more, maybe, you know, and so all of these years she's dealt with that and she's held that in her heart. And so now when God finally blesses her, she pulls in and she remains in seclusion for five months. Just, you know, enjoying what is unfolding. I don't know why she remained in seclusion, Um, she is delighted. She's not, of course, angry at God, but maybe she's afraid. Maybe she's afraid, you know, that it's not, she's not really pregnant or, you know, I don't know. But the question that I ask myself at this point is, what kind of woman did Elizabeth's disgrace make her? And it's very interesting because both Mary and Elizabeth endured disgrace of very different kinds. But what kind of woman did disgrace make her? For a lot of us, disgrace can make us bitter or cruel or out to get other people or angry at God. But Elizabeth allowed disgrace to make her humble. And I think you'll see that in the next um, passage. She was a humble woman. She was a woman who walked with God. And I think sometimes when we don't get what we want, it enables us to have our eye on heaven better, if that makes sense. Sometimes when the dreams we've had don't come true. Now, I'm not saying your dreams aren't going to come true. That's not what I'm saying. But in this situation, Elizabeth had a dream, and it didn't come true and didn't come true and didn't come true. And now finally, it's coming true, and she's old. 
And how weird. I mean, I'm 55, but imagine like, you know, if I, if I was pregnant, it would just be weird to be so old and be pregnant. But she was probably older, you know. So, okay. Now we're going to move over to Nazareth. And now and I'm going to kind of, we're going to look at this. I love this. Now in the sixth month, uh, this is 26, Luke 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. <coughs> to a virgin engaged a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. We, we want to sing the hallelujah chorus. I, at least I do right there kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for this reason, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, and here comes Elizabeth, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her six months, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Elizabeth's miracle was reported to Mary to encourage her. And one thing that waiting and disgrace did for Elizabeth is it gave her a testimony. Without a problem, you'll never have a testimony. Without something that's impossible, you will never have a testimony. And I'll tell you, for all of us, when we're outside of Christ, that's impossible <laughs> to be made new. But that's our testimony, that impossible thing. So when Kate was single, and, you know, I remember um, a man, a young man came to me, and he said, Kate is like the most perfect godly woman that I know. And I said, you're not marrying her. No, <laughs> And um, he said, I don't understand why she's not married. And I said, I know. I, I don't know why God is waiting, you know. And, um, and he said, well, I have to tell you that being, watching Kate and being her friend as a single woman has changed the way I live because I know what it looks like to be single and honor Christ. And that's how I want to live as a single man. And I said to Kate, are you willing to wait so that your life can inspire other people? 
I had another friend and she was living with the man and she got saved and the man got saved and um, they moved apart and, and they began to, to court and try to build a relationship around the Lord and um, and he just had no interest in getting married and it was delayed and delayed and delayed and finally things ended and my friend had to wait a long long time for God to bring the right person and it was a lot longer than she had hoped and there was a lot of disappointment and I, I think you know um, are we willing are we willing to wait and live a really godly life to inspire others is there enough of the compassion of Christ in us now I don't believe we're all called to wait some of you are probably gonna get married very young but you don't know what God's plan is for you my when I was in college I wanted to get uh, married when I was 30 I had my whole life planned I was gonna be a missionary in the Amazon River Basin and now I don't know how I would have ever survived. I never thought of things like boa constrictors or insects, you know, I j or frogs. <laughs> but I just thought, I'm off. And my friend Susie's like, no, I'm getting married the week after graduation. We switch, we switch places. I got married the week after graduation. She waited for years. And now she has a wonderful husband. But what really matters isn't when we got married. What really matters is that today we're both 55 and we both love Jesus. And that's what matters. And I think we get caught up in our timing of how we want our life to go. And we miss out on God's best because every season is wonderful. And every season is hard. But it's it just, are we going to look at the hard or are we going to look at the wonderful? My, my thing is praise God for the wonderful and cry out about the hard and, and help, help the people in your world to cry out about the hard. Because all of us have it. And if we don't have anything hard in our life, then we probably have someone we love who's going through something hard. So we don't escape it. Um... It's always easy to shine for Jesus when you're happy with what God's doing in your life. But the shiniest lights are when you're not happy with how life is going. Because that is that sweet fruit of trust. And there's, there's a psalm, and I can't remember. <laughs> I always know it, and now I can't remember the address. But it says, I have weaned and quieted I've, I've quieted my soul with the Lord, with like a weaned child with its mother. And, you know, if you've weaned a baby and you know how they just don't understand why they can't nurse anymore. And it's very hard for them. But they still want you and they still love you. And that's uh, that picture of us with God where we don't always understand. But we still love him and we still trust him. Okay, so the angel appears to Mary, and I love the very next verse. I love this. 
Verse 39, now at this time, Mary arose. So the angel's talking to her. Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city in Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. I can't help but think that this amazing thing happened to her, and Mary thought, who can I go to who knows God? Who can I go to who knows the ways of the Lord? Who can I go to who is going to walk me through this? That couple that walks blamelessly before the Lord. That's where I'll go. And so here's the mother of God himself. Come in the flesh, running to this woman, Elizabeth. And on top of it all, is the miracle true? Is my cousin Elizabeth pregnant? After all these years, is she pregnant? And so they go. And then um, here's the first song, 41. Oh, and also, before I go on, I wonder if, if Elizabeth was that person in Mary's life who made her feel valuable and loved and special and unique. And if that was one of the reasons she went. Because she knew disgrace would come. And she needed to maybe be built up emotionally a little bit. Um, okay, so 39. I mean, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in a room. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was sp has been spoken to her by the Lord. So there is this woman, and she prophesies. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she prophesies because this baby inside her is filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Remember, that's what the angel told Zechariah. So filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit recognizes the Messiah. And he's excited. And he's jumping. And Elizabeth, being tuned in to the Lord, knows this baby. This baby knows what's going on. And she says to this young, young woman, very young woman, it'd be like me, wait, Oh, Mary Ellis in that class. I was thinking, Victoria, how blessed I am that the mother of my Lord is here. So you see what a humble kind of thing that was. But she gives that word and she acknowledges that Mary is carrying the Messiah, the anointed one. And I have to believe she sang that. I just have to believe she sang that. Because that is too exciting. How do, you how do you say that? My baby leap for joy. <laughs> My baby leap for joy. And she's so excited because God in the flesh is here. 
And somehow her baby knows. And remember, this baby is the forerunner of the Messiah, the Christ, the Holy One. All right. Two women, one old, one young. And this is something really important to remember for the rest of your life. Age doesn't matter in God's plan. John and Jesus were the same age, but Elizabeth and Mary were not. And God used this older woman and this young, young woman together. And together they produced these two young men who will turn history upside down, right side up. Will change everything. Um, they were united with disgrace. Elizabeth's disgrace was ending, but Mary's was just beginning. And imagine, imagine if they had seen their age difference as a barrier, because it would have been a barrier in their culture. And imagine if they had seen that. But as it was, the Lord used them together. And so what happens next? So Elizabeth sings this song. You know, she's old. And then Mary's young. She, she gets out her electric guitar. Doo -doo 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 -doo. <laughs> and she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. She just starts singing. And she begins to exalt the Lord. Um, for the mighty one. For the mighty one has done great things. She's just so excited. So this is what she sings. She says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great <coughs> things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So right there, Elizabeth and Mary are worshiping and singing. And their worship goes far, far, far beyond what God is doing in their lives. It goes to what God is doing in the earth and what God is doing in the nation. That in the earth, he's taking rulers and he's pushing them down. And he's taking the humble and he's raising them up. And they know that he's doing that because they, God has done it in their life. God has taken a humble little girl and made her a mom. And God has taken a woman who's disgraced and taken away her disgrace 
and allowed them to play an amazing part in history that will cut time in two. Mary and 56, Mary stayed and Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. It, it seems here with the timing and everything that Mary probably stayed with Elizabeth till her baby was born and helped with the birth. It's about the timing of it because she remained in seclusion five months and then they talk about the angel appearing. It probably took about a month to get there, the way travel went and stuff. Maybe not, but it seems like that. That might not be true, you know, but she at least stayed till she was close to her due date. She probably served her, took care of her. And I imagine that Elizabeth was her Titus II woman. And that Elizabeth poured truth and wisdom and insight into Mary. Because, you know, Elizabeth hadn't had her own children, but she had been the wife of a priest. She had been in every home in the village. She had prayed over people. She had ministered to people. And she probably had so much practical wisdom to tell Mary. She had ministered truth. She had helped people grow in the Lord. And she was able to share all that with Mary. And I'm sure Mary just soaked it up and was so excited. Um, at this point, and I guess, oh, all right. So, where am I with time? I'm going to go ahead and shorten this. Um, John is born, and Zachariah says, you know, they want to name him Zachariah, and he says, no, his name is John. Then he can speak again, and then Zachariah sings. <laughs> and it's a similar song about the Lord and all that. But I'm going to skip to the very end, and that is verse... Is that verse 80? And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance in Israel. You would think that the forerunner who would come with the spirit of Elijah would not be born to old parents who would probably die when he was just a youth or a young adult. But that was God's plan. And one of the reasons that John had a passion for the glory of God was because of his parents and what they built into him and instilled into him. And all those years of living had instilled so much truth in them that they poured into their son. And then when they went on, then God himself parented John. And it says that John grew up living in the desert and we look at that and we go, no. Well, who will worry if they're not home on time? Or who will make sure that, you know, they're washing their clothes and they're <laughs> getting enough sleep and, you know, that if they're traveling, they stop and get something to eat? <laughs> who, will, who will do that? Who will do that? And... And God had a plan for John the Baptist, so it's very different. 
Mary was with Jesus till the end. She was in the upper room. She was at the cross. But John was alone. And that's very significant because Jesus said, and among the men who have been born of woman, none is greater than John the Baptist. So why would God have this massive call on his life and have him born to parents who probably would not, you know, they wouldn't be there when he was beheaded. They wouldn't be there to see him baptizing the crowds, to see him baptizing Jesus. They wouldn't be there. Why is that? Because God understands things from the right perspective. And he knows what is absolutely best for us. And we don't understand that. And we're so afraid that somehow we're less than. But we aren't. John the Baptist wasn't less than. God did not deprive John the Baptist of anything. He set him up perfectly. And you have to understand that in your life, with all your limitations, you are set up perfectly to be his. There is no weakness where he's not stronger. There's no missing person that he cannot fill that role. It's so important for you to get that in your spirit so that you can walk in confidence that the call on your life is good. In fact, it is great. In fact, God wants to use you to change the world. And he will fill in all the missing pieces. That is our God. And so I want that to sink in your spirit. Because so often we look at people, we don't really think deeply about what their life must have been like. We just see what they did for God. But you, wherever you are, Whatever is going on in your life, God can use you in a mighty way. And you can have an intimate relationship with him. There is no barrier. Jesus has taken it away. <laughs>